You'll open your Bibles and follow along. It's entitled, Living in Zion. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O Lord, of our salvation and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and he shall set us in the way of his steps. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's turn in our Psalters now to number 355 this morning, verse 10, which is written on top of your outlines. And this evening, our text will be verse 13. But let me read now our text, Psalm 85, verse 10. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, commentators differ on the time and the setting of this psalm. There are those who believe it is written after the exile in Babylon because that's what it seems to say in verse 1, thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. But... There are other commentators, and I would tend to agree with them, written by David. Written by David praying for the deliverance from all the attacks of the Philistines. You'll remember that, boys and girls, that David was the one whom God used as a young man to kill the, the giant Goliath. And you'll remember then that there was the Philistines raising in power. The ark was lost for a while by those wicked sons of Eli. And then finally King Saul and Jonathan are killed in the battle. Yes, Israel was kind of held captive there by the Philistines. But God brought wonderful deliverance by King David who slew his thousands 
And it's important that we remember that King David is a type. A type of Jesus Christ. Who by his life and by his death defeated sin and Satan and death. Now it's not really important for us to know the exact setting because the truths that are taught in this psalm are eternal, aren't they? Always, always, verse 7, God's people look for mercy. And we have in this psalm then a cry for God's people who are in distress. And we have a looking of those people in faith and trust in their God. And living in them is a wonderful hope when they listen to God's word and then God, by his spirit and his word, leads them to a godly walk. How we need that. And that's what this morning's sermon and the table is all about, isn't it? We who were alienated from God by our sins, don't we need Wonderful reconciliation with God in Christ Jesus. This past week we were called to examine ourselves and as the form says it, we don't have that zeal for God's kingdom as we have. We're not as obedient as we should be. But we look to our God for he is our salvation and he is our deliverance. What we have in our text is a prophecy really about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The faithful lift up their eyes to him when their faith needs to be encouraged and supported. And they look for the complete restoration of the church. The design of our psalmist is to show how bountifully how bountifully God deals with his church when he reconciles her to himself. John Calvin writes, and I quote, the fruits which he represents in our text spring forth from that reconciliation, that mercy and truth that meet together. Yes, the mercy of God is really the origin, isn't it? The source of all of his promises. God has chosen you and me in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. The mercy of God, source of all of his promises. Righteousness is set before us, not our own, but righteousness as we read in verse 11 that comes down from heaven. And from that righteousness, we have peace with God. God justifies us freely and that is what the gospel is preaching in this text and also what the table is showing forth to us justification our righteousness in Jesus Christ crucified mercy and truth righteousness and peace are the grand and ennobling distinction of the kingdom of Christ and the citizens of that kingdom. It is a truth that all these blessings flow from God. So last week we did look at God's mercy where we are turned and we have that same theme, don't we, in our passage 
Verse 4, turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger to us to cease. So a turning of conversion and God's mercy being poured out on us. And now the question that stands before our conscience is, how can you and how can I appear before God in righteousness? There is, isn't there? a real hunger and thirst in God's children for that righteousness that God alone can provide. So listen to me, the pledge of peace, for we read in our text, mercy and truth are met together, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Peace. Listening to God's word. And then notice in our passage the apparent paradox. How can this be? And then thirdly, the answer, the harmony of these attributes revealed in Christ Jesus and him crucified. Listen, when God speaks, verse 8, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. The psalmist is speaking there about himself and the congregation. He says, I, and then hopefully we, will hear what the Lord, that is the covenant God, speaks. Because the psalmist and the congregation have already cried out to the Lord, haven't they? Listen to that cry. Turn us, O God, of our salvation. Wilt thou be angry forever? Show us thy mercy. I will hear what the Lord will speak. In other words, there is a theme that some of my catechism kids have heard at the first part of catechism. We have two ears, one mouth. Let's use that accordingly. So two ears, listening to what God says. And what we have really is God's answer to the cry of God's people. We are asking to be turned. We are asking that God's anger will be turned away. We are asking that God will show us mercy. And what does God say? Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Now that's not a new word. Foreign to them. They expect that answer. They expect that answer because in the very first verses of this passage, they look at what God has done in the past. And by looking at what God has done in the past for them, they have hope and there is the basis for their prayers in the present time and in the future. And beloved, that is true for each one of us. You go through trials or difficulties or a sickbed Will God hear? Will God help me? Well, let's look back. Hasn't he been helping us all of our life up to this point? Surely he will continue to lead and to guide and to comfort and also to correct us in the days ahead until finally he takes us home. So, first of all, listening to the Lord speak. And notice what the Lord speaks. Verse 8, I will hear what the Lord speaks, peace unto his people 
and unto his saints. Peace. We know from the scriptures that there is no peace for the wicked. Isaiah 57 verse 21. Peace. Peace in the scriptures is used often for prosperity. Think a moment from your catechism days when you studied about David and then of Solomon. How is Solomon, who was kind of foolish at times with all his wives, how is Solomon a type of Jesus? And the answer is because of the peace and prosperity that he enjoyed in his kingdom. The enemies had all been subdued already. Peace is also then to show harmony. God's people living together in harmony and experiencing that harmony with God because our sins have been taken away. Peace is being right with God. It is a peace that God has declared for you and me from eternity and in time he is carrying that out in our lives when he reconciles us to himself in Christ Jesus. Yes, True peace is a quietness of the heart and the soul and the conscience. Knowing that God is not angry with us because his anger for our sins was met upon the head of Jesus Christ in our place. That is peace, isn't it? God is not angry with me. But he has thoughts of love and grace and peace, quietness, quietness of heart and soul and mind and conscience. And God speaks this peace, notice thirdly then, to whom and for whom? Who receives this speech of peace? And we read there in verse 8, I will hear what the God, the Lord, will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people. For as we hear in Psalm 23, the Lord is our good shepherd, and we lay down in quiet pastures, don't we? He speaks peace to his people. And they are, those people are further identified in verse 8, aren't they, as God's saints. Those whom God has chosen and has redeemed through Christ Jesus and now are sanctified, made to be like their God, holy. Those who are the meek ones who don't say, I can do it in my own strength, but are humble and they wait upon God to make them what they ought to be. Peace comes to those who by God's grace know and love and serve God. Those who walk in his commandments. For notice in the end of verse 8, it says, And let them not turn again to folly. Don't be like that piggy that's been washed and then goes right back to the slime and the mud. But you and I are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ and now we are called to a holy life and that is what this evening's sermon is going to be talking about. So notice in our text, 
identified are the genuine people of God over against and distinguished from those who merely call are called by that title. There are many, many in the world, aren't there, who declare, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But they're maybe talking about the upbringing that they had, or they're talking about, yes, their name is on some church roll, but do they really love God? Do they seek their salvation in him? Do they attend his, his word in verse 8, who are eagerly hearing what the Lord has to say. So, a pledge of peace, we have that, first of all, by listening to God's word. But I move on to the second point then, the apparent paradox in our text. Listen to those attributes. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. What we have is couples, two different couples, walking closely together. But now this question, how can in those couples these two persons walk so closely together when they are so diametrically opposed? Let's imagine a moment uh, when we were down in Florida, there was a gal always by the pool with us, but her husband didn't like the heat, her husband didn't like the water, so he would stay up in his room all the time while she's laying out by the pool. I suspect the other way goes too. He loves winter, he loves snow, and she probably doesn't. She's shivering and she wants to stay in the house. How can they walk together then in that kind of recreation? Or better, let me use the illustration that God gives in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ will Belial? And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Those look like they don't fit together. They don't. And so also we look at our text, and it seems like there is a paradox. How can these things live together? Two couples in harmony, even though they appear in themselves to be diametrically opposed to one another. Can mercy and truth walk together? Can righteousness and peace embrace and kiss yes as john kelvin looks at it verse 10 is the fruit of god's reconciliation of us to himself but it's not only the fruit but beloved it's also the very means isn't it it is by his mercy, and it is by his truth, and it is by his righteousness, and by his peace that we enjoy that reconciliation with God. God is for us. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. So let's look very closely a moment at this dilemma 
of mercy and truth. For you will remember that it is Amos who did right. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is, first of all, an attribute of God. It's an attribute of God where he desires to see someone happy and blessed. He desires to see himself and his people happy and blessed together. Mercy is then also pity. God's pity upon those who are helpless in themselves, who are helpless and are perishing in their sin. God's mercy then is also his power and his work, whereby God stoops down to lift us up out of the miry clay and put us upon that rock, Christ Jesus. Oh, what mercy of God. And now the question comes, how can mercy walk along with truth? Yes, mercy says, I do not desire the death of the sinner, but that he lives. But truth is God's word that says, I will in no means clear the guilty. God's truth is, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. So how in the world can God have pity and help and give grace to those who are sinners like you and me? Because God's truth says we deserve to die. And God will bring that judgment upon sinners. Does not God's truth prevent mercy? And doesn't God's mercy keep truth from being vindicated? And let me give you the answer to that. Those questions. The answer is no. It is an apparent paradox but we'll see how that is all resolved. But there is a second paradox or dilemma, isn't there? Righteousness and peace. Oh, can you see that couple? Righteousness and peace waltzing down the road, hand in hand, and even sneaking a kiss now and then. How in the world can righteousness the righteousness of God, make peace with sinners like us. Because righteousness means conformity to God's law. It is God's law and it is God's uh, commandments that are the standard that all will be judged by on the judgment day. Yes, Yes, God created us righteous, didn't he? And yes, in the Garden of Eden, there was wonderful peace when in the evening God would walk in the cool of the day with his saints, Adam and Eve. God created us righteous. But our rebellion, yes, ours, ours too, our rebellion in Adam plunged us into sin and to misery And so instead of waltzing together and kissing our God and him kissing us, 
Adam and Eve are hiding, aren't they? They run away when they hear the voice of God and they hide in the bushes. And all of us, all of us by nature are unrighteous. All of our thoughts and all of our deeds, what are they but filthy rags that we wear? Wouldn't you agree with me? That's what the Bible teaches. There is no righteousness in us. That we are all sinners. Not one is accepted from that. Unrighteous. And yet righteousness is that virtue of God that always rewards the good and damns the guilty. There's no exceptions. God loves the righteous. He loves himself. How in the world can he love you and me who are guilty, sinners, wretched unrighteousness? How can God have peace and harmony with sinners? For as we said earlier from Isaiah chapter 57, there is no peace for the wicked. So how again can that couple be harmonized and kiss each other and embrace? How can we, guilty sinners, be harmonized with the righteous God? How can we have peace with him? And that brings me then to our third point. The harmony that is revealed in Christ Jesus and his cross. And may we as God's people see that harmony in the Lord's table this morning. And may we hear that harmony from God's own word. For God does say mercy and truth are met together. Not hopefully will be, but mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Well, that harmony, first of all, is found in God himself, isn't it? For don't we, young people, remember from essentials one of the attributes of God that is not communicated, that we don't have. One of those attributes is the simplicity of God. That there is no contradiction of God. It's an aspect of his oneness. That is, God is one in all of his attributes and works perfection. There is no disharmony. There is no conflict. There is no contradiction amongst his attributes and works. How different that is for God than for us, isn't it? Some of us can be tame and calm at times, but also we can be very flustered. Some can be loving at one point and then angry and bitter at another time because we're wrestling with what we are in Christ and we're wrestling with what we are by nature. And that's why, as Paul puts it, in this life we have a constant struggle. As Paul says, I have fought the good fight. That's what our life is all about, fighting against what we are by nature and what we are made in Christ Jesus. But in God, 
himself. There is no disharmony. There is no conflict. There is no contradiction against his attributes and works. I remember when I was a student in seminary and I had to do an internship in a church and one of the tools that they would use for evangelism was the uh, Kennedy Explosion. And they would ask different questions. If you were going to die tonight, would you go to heaven? And their answer then would finally be, look at God. God loves us, but oh, God has a problem. God loves us, but we're sinners. How in the world is he going to love us? Well, okay, he decided then to send Jesus in the world in order to save us and make us righteous, and therefore God can heal along. In other words, portrayed in that, that whole scenario is, poor God, he's got some problems. He wants to love everyone, but ooh, he's righteous, and uh, he can't do it. He better figure out a way. In other words, salvation in Christ Jesus is a rescue plan after our fall into sin but we know better from eternity god saw you and me in christ jesus he gave us to jesus christ in eternity he made jesus christ our head the head of the church and the king of the church and the one who takes our place and saves us so god in himself is love but is also just or let me say god's love is truth god is light god is righteous those separate those attributes are not separated for one another like different times in his life but always his mercy is a just mercy and his justice is also merciful to his own. God's love is always there for his people. And it is revealed in time by what God has done for them in Jesus Christ. And what God continues to do for us as we are pilgrims on this road up to heaven. He leads us, he guides us, he corrects us, he instructs us, he preserves us in his mercy and in his truth and in his righteousness and in his peace that he gives to us. That harmony revealed in Christ Jesus and his incarnation. He sends his son from heaven leaving the glory of heaven to come down into the filth of this world and to become one of us, like us in every respect, except he was not sinful. God sent him down because Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life, and no one can come to the Father except by him. His name is, isn't it, the Lord, our righteousness. One of his names is, isn't it, the Prince of Peace? Always, as we're going to hear next week, the Lord willing, from Isaiah, that Israel is redeemed with judgment. How do these attributes meet together? Mercy that is always just. 
and our baptism and also our communion form points out. God is so righteous and just that rather than that sin should go unpunished, he punished sin in his own son, Jesus Christ, in our place. In other words, our sins were imputed to that pure son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus' righteousness is imputed upon us. Boys and girls, another word for imputed would be clothed. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is clothed upon us. So our filthy rags of sin are stripped off us and put on Jesus on the cross. And Jesus' garment of white righteousness is put upon us. And wearing that robe of righteousness that comes to us only in Jesus Christ, there is harmony between our loving God in heaven and his children by election in Christ Jesus. What a Savior. And as we come to that table, and with our eyes we watch the bread being pulled apart, by faith we behold Jesus hanging there on the cross, his body broken with his hands pierced and his side pierced. And when we see that wine that is poured out, yes, by faith, we see our Savior hanging there on the cross with that blood coming out of the scars on his head, the whippings on his back, the holes in his hands, and the blood and the water flowing from his side. There is, beloved, and this is what we hunger and thirst for all of our lives, reconciliation and peace with God through the cross of Jesus Christ. Because we are ransomed, aren't we? And that word ransom means there's a payment made, a dear payment, an expensive payment, one that you and I can't bring. But Jesus did. Complete obedience to his Father all of his life, and especially there on the cross. He could have escaped it. He could have asked angels to come down. He could have stopped the soldiers from doing it. But willingly, because he loved his father and because he loves his other brothers and sisters, you and me by adoption, he stayed there on the cross. He obeyed his father. He said, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And now, that righteousness obtained for us by the suffering and the death of Jesus, which the table portrays, is ours. That righteousness coming to us through the Holy Spirit. Our being led in the truth by the Holy Spirit, opening up God's word to us each Sunday, morning and evening, and around our tables as we read God's word. Yes, righteousness given to us by faith in Christ Jesus. Oh, what a God you and I serve, don't we? If we stand in amazement of the God's glory, which is portrayed by the myriads of stars in the sky or the galaxies way beyond us, and we are, how much more shouldn't we be amazed at this greater work than creation? And I'm talking about 
the work of recreation. Ugly sinners like you and me transformed and made into glorious children of God in Christ Jesus. Christ's righteousness clothing us. What love, what grace, what mercy God shows. Christ's righteousness as we eat and drink imputed to you and to me. And therefore, as Martin Luther found from Romans 5 verse 1, we have peace with God. In Christ, he is not against us, but he is for us. Oh, beloved, he is our Father in heaven. And his Son, Jesus Christ, is our elder brother who has opened up the way for you and I to follow and be, in Christ, adopted children of God. Yes, righteousness and peace have embraced and kiss each other in the cross of Jesus Christ. Our reconciliation with God. You and I were sinners. Sin blotted out. Righteousness given. And you and I, in our worship services, have beautiful communion with God. He speaks to us, and we speak back with songs of praise, with prayers, with giving of gifts, and the hearing of his word. And, O oh, fellow saints, as we come to the table of the Lord, let us remember this from God's Word, that there is nothing, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing in this world, not even death itself. Yes, as we come to the table, let's hear these words of Jesus as he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace. I give you. Let's turn in the back of our Psalters to the form.